a young German soldier's terrifying experience in distress on the Western Front during World War I. Because we're talking movies, we're talking 2022's All Quiet on the Western Front. Chris, I'm going to need your help correcting me with all these names. Because it's starring Felix Kramer, Albright Schultz, and Aaron Hilmer. Based on the novel by Eric Maria Remark. Screenplay by Ian Stokely, Leslie Patterson, and Edward Berger, who also directed. When you're starving, you'll do anything. This story is neither an accusation nor a confession. Least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will try simply to tell the generation of men who, even though they may have not escaped its shells, were destroyed. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of how'd you like that movie uh as we do every november 11th on the show we're going to be talking about an anti-war film and we have now come up to probably the granddaddy of all anti-war films all quiet on the western front uh we're going to be talking about the new netflix 2022 remake uh it was originally done based on the 1929 novel uh and the first film version came out in 1930 uh scott so why don't you take us away yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna start with um james friend i believe the cinematographer in this film because mm-hmm. this like even though it is a dire film and the consequences he did fucking make it look beautiful like he made europe look beautiful and a wasteland right after the battles like you see the before and after and he was from what I read, they they only filmed in two locations in Prague and Czech Republic. So it like it was interesting to watch. Like, I don't know if you did any research on it. Like, are those like when like close to the end when he's in like the big ditch or whatever with the French soldier? Oh, was the, that the, actually the shell shell crater? Yeah, like was that something they actually dug up or is that green screen? Like it it made it look fucking real. Like they're actually in the mud, like in the shit. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not aware of it. I would hundred percent agree with you. This film is very like stylized be- and beautifully shot. So the, the cinematographer did a fantastic job. Uh, he actually, so the director is Edward Berger. So he's a German director, uh, most known for Deutschland 83, which is a fantastic German TV show that, uh, you know, takes place in east eastern west germany uh he did patrick melrose and your honor and james friend his dop worked with him on your honor and patrick melrose so they've this is you know they've worked together a couple times Uh, yeah right from the opening scene with the uh animals kind of in a little den the little foxes and stuff like that uh like hyper realistic well i guess it is real realistic and it just keeps going from there. And then, like you said, the juxtaposition between the wasteland of the front, but then also once you get away from the front, like the farmers, uh, when they're going to you know steal the goose and the eggs from the farmer or whatever, or that mm-hmm. like those beautiful green hills and all that type of stuff, right? So yeah, it is it is beautifully shot. Yeah. Um, now I haven't watched the original in fucking decades. 
like decades. Yep. But for the one thing I always remembered of the original, and I didn't see it in this one either, so I'm assuming they changed it, is from what I remember with the original, like the main characters, they were kind of manipulated into going into the war by their teachers kind of like you know you're not real men unless you're going and then they go to the leader of the like that group of friends and you know because technically his manhood is is being threatened he was like fuck it i'm going and then all the other friends go and this one they're all kind of primed to go from the beginning right so i always thought the like that little bit of the first, like the original film made it a lot more tragic because you actually saw people that didn't want to go. And then by the end of the film, they're so um, assimilated into the war culture that they lose everything they are. They're pretty much just machines by the end of it. But yeah. this one, it's just like he, like, um, fuck, the main character is, Paul. what's his name again? Paul. Like he kind of regains his humanity close to the end and then when he becomes just like the other one when he's like fuck it like this is it's the same shit every day when they're like we're gonna try to take over this last hill one last time before the ceasefire yeah 100 percent. and i mean so there's also the 1979 tv movie uh which a lot of people if you've seen all quiet in the western front may have also seen uh, which is very well done. And yes, it does. It's similar to the uh, 1930 film. It taught exactly what you're talking about happens, right? Where there's more time spent in that the teachers winding them up where in this version, it's sort of like they're excited. You get the speech from the teacher, but the teachers, it's almost like they're already convinced to go at this point, right? Like yeah. the teacher's yeah, basically like before... just saying, like, congratulations, you're gonna, you're great, you're the, the, the iron youth of Germany, right? So, yeah, no, exactly. Like just before that scene, let's when they have that group of friends, um, and and Paul's like, you know, I forged the signature because he was like, how did you get your mom to sign it? Because his mom didn't want to go to war. He was like, I'm not gonna be missing out on this, yeah, kind of thing. So yeah, so it was just like pretty much they're all convinced to go beforehand. But now, this, that's a common oh. theme. Like if you, so this is our, as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, this is our third anti, World War One anti-war film. But we started with Gallipoli with the Australians. And you see that concept as well, though. Like, I'm not going to miss out. I'm not going to get stuck back here. You know, the Germans will be beaten by, by the time I get there. I hope there's some fighting left for me to do. And that was at the beginning of the war. And uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is like 1918. It's, it's, it's almost near the, the end of the war. Uh, mm -hmm. when they go and that's still that idea even though by this point lots of people have not come home and the teacher actually brings that up in that speech like you know uh many of you i will not see again but those who do and you will put your sword on the mantle and your the iron cross on your chest and to still think that this was some grand adventure that you were going to go off and have a gay old time and really you just got you know shit and mud and death you know yeah yeah it, it, it like out of the ones we've done this this one i would agree is the more you know you see a lot more of i guess you can say the stupidity of war right where it's just the huber the hubris of some uh and it's the it's 
like the 80 percent 80 other percent that have to fight it that are gonna die while the other ones are just you know eating steak and you know eating fucking mashed potatoes and wine while everybody else is turnip bread right while they're actually fighting this war so again this is this is one of the differences between this version and the other two versions uh the book is very much in the trenches with the character the author served he served during the first world war basically in 1918 he was 18 years old when he went off to fight like he's basically paul it, you know he it's very autobiographical uh eric uh remarque um he actually this book got banned by the nazis when they came to power and he had to flee germany he first went to switzerland and then to the united states and the nazis ended up actually killing his sister in about 1944 uh, because they couldn't get a hold of him because they considered him like a dissident because this book is so powerful in how it shows the falsehood of nationalism, right? Um, mm. Sorry, I got a, I got sidebarred there, but, but uh, one of the things that this version does that the other two don't really touch on is the high command, right? Like, as you see them, uh, like Daniel Bruhl is basically there to sign the armistice and how... The soldiers are doing all the fighting and they're in, you know, smoking cigars and like you said, eating steak and drinking brandy and talking. And then there's the the general that's like, you know, soldiers are to fight wars. Like, what is a soldier without a war? So let's go do some more fighting. Also eating steak, drinking brandy and not even in the trenches. Right. So it was kind of yeah, cool exactly. to see the see what was going on at the like high command and the politician level and the effect of it uh, on the soldier. Actually, on that point. One of the best, you know, scenes in this movie is right at the beginning when you see the soldier die and then you watch the, you, the trail of his uniform as it gets taken off the body, sent back to Germany, washed, darned, repackaged, and the next, like you said, like almost like an assembly line of soldiers. It goes, you know, they go in, they pick up the new uniforms and Paul's like, oh, this, this, is, for, this is somebody else's. And the uh, officer basically just like, oh, rips off the name tag. Oh, that must have been too small. Like, they're just, it's like a factory. It's just a soldier yeah, factory. They, yeah, well, when they have that scene as well, like, you follow the name tag to the end. And you see, like, by his feet, there's, like, hundreds of name tags. Yeah. And just, it, the even just the act of discarding it like that is deliberate, right? Like, the, this idea of, like, this, 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 this person became a name. And that name is now discarded. Like they're done. They're, mm-hmm. They've served their purpose, and it was of almost no value. Yeah, in the they kind of circle. They have the scene where they circle too. Where at the first battle, it's Paul, uh, and then you know after the collapse of the um, fuck the trench, and they you know dig him out, and then they're like, "Are you okay?" And he goes, "Yeah." He, they're like, "Okay." start collecting the tags right give them the thing and you see them going one by one collecting collecting i guess that, that was their <laughs> version of the dog tags right yeah absolutely and it's just sort of like okay so who's dead now who's dead yeah, now and then and then you see it at the end too after the last battle they're like all right are you okay yeah all right go collect <laughs> go collect your tags right um yeah so our producer says that uh Pretty basically everything, such as the shell craters and mud, were real. They dug trenches and shell craters, and then they brought in mud for the shot. So it's all real. It's not CGI. It's like real actors in real mud in real, you know, conditions. 
So that's good. That's what that what's that's what makes it look so real because because that it is real, right? So, if that, so you're saying the tanks are real too? Uh, that had to have been CGI over because there's no way they would have actors underneath those. Wow, well, I mean, I don't know about that part, but we're talking about just the the set yeah. dressing. Mm-hmm. So but, what did you? How did you? So what? What's your general takeaway on this film? Oh, it was it was very well done. Um, I will say, like, I had to pause it a couple of times because I did find the two and a half hour runtime uh, extremely long. <laughs> um, but the acting was great. Um, did you do German with subtitles or did you do sub? Oh, no, you, you mean dubbed. No, I I, I mean, I always dubbed. try and watch things in their original language with subtitles. Uh, I find that even with a really good dubbing, you're like, Eh, kind of watching a you know early 70s kung fu movie here you know what i mean yeah it was interesting like uh, cuz i think this is the first time where like a german director and stuff actually took this material yeah, everything else has always been so it was interesting to actually see people speaking in german actually like fucking talking shit about the the french and the english <laughs> like you could feel it kind of thing as opposed to you know valkyrie where you know everybody has an english accent and they're german yeah and again i actually think that both of those films did that well right so in valkyrie they're like well we want to cast you know tom cruise and these other amazing actors let's not try and make them have the fake german accent i'm the tom cruise like don't do that just speak normally and act and in this we're gonna get germans to play germans and speak german with a german director and it's like so it will be a german production you know what i mean Mm -hmm. now question for you uh, I don't know if you want to save this, think about this at the end, or or you can answer it now. So this is German Germany's submission for foreign film at the Oscars. Okay. Now, do you also see this being a parasite situation where it'll also be nominated for Best Picture? I think it's... So I, I would... First off, I would need to take a look at who's going to... Like, we're, we're getting close to, like, the time where we're, we're going to be able to start having like real conversations about who the Oscar contenders are. Um, I will have to probably come back to you. If the, first off, this has to get accepted by the Academy as, because just because Germany puts it forward doesn't mean they still need the shortlist and we'll see, but okay, let's say it does get through to the Oscars. I mean, it's grand enough. Okay. So like we've, I've talked about like, what, what does a film need to be, a best picture, right? So it's got to usually have like a great screenplay. I mean, it's based on All Quiet on the Western Front. So I'd say check. Cinematography, check. Acting, absolutely. It doesn't have any big name actors, but that's, you know, neither did Parasite. Uh, is it, you know, timely for, you know, where we are in the world right now? Sure. I think it's, you know, it's going to pull out a lot of hard trees. It's a very famous book, right? Like everybody knows this book. So they're, they're remaking something that's important. And does it have emotional gravitas and scope? Yeah. So I would say Yes. I would say that uh, if it makes it into the Oscars, I think it'll get a nomination for Best Picture. Nice. Interesting. I- I'm going to say no, but yeah. Are you- oh, so I just used a bunch of science and like logic and you're just like, yeah, and I'm going to say no just because I want to be adversarial with Chris. No, no, it's not that. Um, I-, I 100% agree with everything you're saying, right? But? But... I think in terms of Oscars, like they did Parasite already, right? So mm-hmm. 
now it's going to be a couple more years. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before... Didn't Drive My Car also get nominated? Or did it only get international? I thought it was only um, for foreign. Okay. It's called international. We call it international now. Foreign, international, whatever. <laughs> so does 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 a Canadian film count as foreign and international? It's in the international. It's not American. <laughs> Canada. Much to the surprise of maybe some Americans, Canada is not part of the United States. It is part of the Americas, though. Just like Mexico. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, if it's part of North America, does it count? And everything outside of North America? Because I've never looked at the actual rules. Uh, you, I mean, you can you can have a film that's not part of the international submission, uh, but it, Canada does submit films in the hopes of having a nationally backed film go to the Oscars, right? So. Mm -hmm. So yes, we would be in the international classification. So you don't think so? you don't think so? You think that uh, they're going to go back to strictly American produced films for this round it's of Oscars? It's not that. It's not that. It, I think. Um, I think I personally think Elvis is just going to take everything away. Elvis or the Fable Man. Yeah, but you can still gonna... have like five or six nominees, right? So I'm not suggesting it's necessarily going to win. But oh, I'm, I'm I'm saying like most likely this will win um, international, international, but it won't even make it for for best picture because either Elvis or the Fablemans is just gonna fucking take over. Okay. I don't think you deny Spielberg uh, Spielberg twice. But, okay, so those are you've mentioned two films. They yeah. often have like four to six nominees. For oh, the I think they've. So, do you think it'll get a nomination now. for Best Picture? That is the question no, on the table. I don't. I don't. It'll, it won't even I, make it into the the final slots. No, okay. I think Batman will over this. Oh fuck! I don't know about that. Okay, we're gonna see. We're definitely gonna see. Uh, I do think I agree with you that it'll probably win international mostly, and the reason I can say that without looking at the other ones is remember when we had the conversation about another round. And I was like, wow, it should be this other film because it's like, it's actually a better film and stuff. And you're like, yeah, but people know Mad Malkinson and they know the director from, was it The Hunt? Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, people know those that guy and that's who's going to win. And that you were 100% correct. <laughs> name recognition, name recognition, name recognition. So. Yeah. And I think having Daniel Brule. Um, Brule in this one helps. Right. Yeah. Even, it's so funny because when you when I originally like saw the when trailer, you watch that trailer, you think he's like the fucking star. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> he's a bit old to play Paul. I'm like, maybe he's playing uh, the sergeant or something like that. And then the guy's on screen for like 15 minutes out of a two and a half hour film. Right. So <laughs> whatever. It's good. Star power is good. He was a producer on it as well. I love Daniel Brule. I think he's a fantastic actor, uh, both from uh, Rush, of course. Uh, he played the best like a version of Nicky Lauda I think you could play, uh, and he's fantastic in Inglorious Bastards. So, oh wait, it's ten, it's ten twenty one by Quentin Tarantino. So, make sure you drink there, guys. Uh, so, other than he was also great in Captain America: Civil War. Oh yeah, he was in that. Uh, we'll maybe we'll talk about Captain America on another show because it's a Marvel movie, and I know that we've been asked to do more of those oh, there you go movies. next next um oh never mind that's world war ii never mind i was gonna say next remembrance day we can do captain america mm -hmm. first avenger that, but that, that's world that, war that'll II. never happen we uh, can do wonder woman there is a really cool like no man's land yeah, scene we're, we're not going to do pretend movies for uh remembrance day uh do you have any other any other comments about this film uh, i think it is one that people should watch especially you know 
you it's a good netflix and chill movie especially during the middle part it drags on for a little bit let's watch this world war one film that talks the anti-war film that talks about the horrors of war and uh, while we're at it give me a bj <laughs> what what is your logic just not working today scott or what it could be that we're recording way earlier than normal <laughs> but, but um yeah like it was fun my son watched it with me and what did he say so he he was he was super interested um and me trying like he was trying to figure out as well like he was like why why is this german general keep on trying to send these guys to, to die Right. And I'm like, it's hubris, man. He, he he pretty much said it in his own monologue that his dad came back from the war a hero because, you know, in his wars, he he conquered. He was like, he hasn't conquered at all. Well, and that's why at the very yeah. end, even though it's just going to waste a bunch of lives, if he could just win one more battle, then he can go mm -hmm. home and, you know, hold his head up high. And it's like, yeah, yeah and, and for you to do that, a bunch of men are not going to go home. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like I thought that uh, juxtaposition that they had where, you know, the German guys riling up the troops, but when you get to the French, the French troops in the trenches, they're literally remembering all their fallen, fallen friends. They're like, Oh man, he like the, I don't remember his name, but we'll say Pierre. Cause fucking it sounds French. Um, they're like, Pierre was saving this to the end like for yes. the end of the war and it's like this wine they're like okay to he him won't need right? it now right so let's, yeah uh... and they're like let's let's drink it in honor of him right and then it's just like passing out the stuff and then all of a sudden he's like he hear well that was that was the germans mistake because they started like fucking screaming like three quarters of the way before getting to the trenches like they could have snuck up a little bit better but it's also moving it, it's also movie. yes <laughs> it is but this actually like that section of the movie is different like uh, edward or like he that sorry the director um edward berger he wrote that in as kind of this is what led to the rise of the nazi the third rights and the nazis because it was these journals that felt that they were betrayed in world war one yeah saying they could have won if it wasn't for these people just you know asking for these yeah, the sanctions and well, yeah, yeah. They always said that the the German army didn't lose on the battlefield. They were stabbed in the back by the politicians, right? So it wasn't the German army's fault. It was it was the politicians that sold out Germany and and the Germans and and again, yes, those reparations from the Treaty of Versailles, which is what they signed there in the little uh, uh, rail cart. Uh, you know, they punished Germany so hard that it 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 part of it tanked their economy for a long time, and then. You know, basically, then things were getting back to normal, and then we have the stock market crash and the global uh, market crashes in the in the twenties, and then you know Germans who had just come out of being fucking poor all the time went back with hyperinflation and stuff, and it just gave it just gave one more reason for uh, fascism to be able to take hold in Germany at the time. So, mm -hmm. um, so my issue with this film, I, I think it's it's beautifully shot. I do think everyone should watch it. I think everybody should watch all three versions of the film because they do kind of focus on slightly different things and all the i would say in all the versions i've seen too all the acting is really good like i have yet to see like a sloppy version of this book which i think is is appropriate that you know whoever it doesn't matter who the director is when they take up this this book to turn it into a screenplay 
or, or the writers or whatever, it's taken with seriousness. Like it's, it's not considered a frivolous task. It was almost a, and I love stylized cinematography. Like it is one of my favorite things. It's one of the things I love most about filmmaking. I almost felt it was not quite gritty enough. What? It was almost, it was, yeah, it was almost too pretty at points. Um, I almost want it to, to be a bit rougher around the edges. Um, and, and the best example is if you've ever seen the movie Platoon uh, by Oliver Stone. And I, I understand we're talking about a totally different war. But there's a certain like dirty in like you feel much more like in a foxhole. Uh, and in that case, it's like a very claustrophobic feeling. Um, so if you go watch Gallipoli. When they are in the trenches in basically, I think it's tur- Turkey, you can feel almost like the heat and the sweat and like it just it feels dirty. Like you can almost feel the grit on your skin of uh, the sand uh, and the stylizedness almost like rounds out all those corners. So that that's kind of my only issue with this film is is more I would have preferred a more gritty version. OK, I get what you're saying. Like to me, I thought this was like. Um like a saving private Ryan take or, yeah, okay, you know, so you're, up close, that, you're up close and personal with it the whole time. So, right? okay. So that's, there's, that's actually a really great comparison. So the steadiness of the camera in this is what they didn't do in say that opening scene of saving private Ryan, right? Having that handheld camera, you can feel you, you get that feeling of being in a landing craft, you know, bullets in the fucking camera all over the place. It makes you feel the heat of battle, right? You're like the disorient, the disorientation that comes from or being disoriented the way you would in a, in a battle scene is is much more palatable. You can feel it in Save It Private Ryan, where in this it's almost again like that. that it's, it's it's a bit too good, right? The camera work is too yeah. stable. It's too clean, so you don't feel the kind of like sickening, like jarring, like <gasps> like I would have liked to see more maybe shoulder mounted, you know, running scenes and stuff like that. Like a 1917. Yeah. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Where it bounces around, but look, like I'm basically looking it, for stuff to just kind of poke at this thing. This is a beautiful, yeah, film. Like, it is a beautiful like, film. Like it is. It, no, I agree. It is beautiful. Like my, my criticism wouldn't have been that my criticism would have been in terms of um, story wise. Like, I know it's a two and a half hour movie, but you only really spend time with Paul, right? Like, it was a group of friends and pretty much they just become, in the in this version, they're just cannon fodder. You, you don't get to know each one as opposed to the other films where each one started having their motivations, had their own character, right? It was just literally, like, watching them go as, like while Paul goes and then slowly one of his friends is always fucking dying in each one of these battles and he gets to watch it. Yeah. Right? And that's one of the powers of, like you said, the other two versions and the book is because you, so Paul is still the main character, but because you know, those other people more, you know, their backstory more, you know, their hopes and dreams when they die, their tragic deaths, their senseless deaths, it has weight to you. Cause you're like, mm. Oh man, like it's sort of like game of Thrones when you're like, Oh shit. That person got killed? I didn't think that person could get killed because in war, it's not a movie. It's real. And, you know, there's it, there's a there's a line basically in the TV version from the 70s where it's sort of like, you do all these things to stay alive, but really it's just luck. 
Like you can get buried under a bomb proof. You can get buried in a bomb proof uh, cellar basically, or you could like walk around in the open and never get hit. Like it is a hundred percent fucking random luck. You, you are doing things that you think will keep you alive, but in the end it's not really up to you. <laughs> so no, exactly. And that's the, like by the, by the final battle, you see it just like, Paul's just charging. He's not even zigzagging. He's not even moving. He's just like, fucking, I'm just running a straight line. Yeah. Cause it's probably <laughs> just as useful, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. And he's like, uh, the, yeah, the, the one scene where, you know, that like the beginning scene where he's just shooting or he's not even shooting. He's just technically unloading the gun because yeah. he never actually takes a shot. Then just grabs a, a shovel and starts running with a fucking shovel. He's yeah. like, fuck it. I'm just going to do this. So the, <laughs> and, and actually that's something I did like is the use of it. The shovel is an entrenching tool. Uh, that was common practice to attack each other with the, you would actually sharpen the side of your shovel and you would try and like take someone's head off with the shovel. Like that brutality like where the there's a scene where he like basically just crushes a dude with his shovel like that is very real and i so i actually want more of that right that like fanatical like this is what it's like to try and stay alive here right um what did so did you think the pacing is off or do you just think it's actually too long or do you Uh, think to me i thought yeah i thought it was yeah i think a lot of things were held on that you didn't need to hold on to right like if you go like final battle when they're going and you're it's kind of like you're a SWAT team behind these guys and it's just like okay they're turning left you see the the thing then backing up shooting going shooting and then you know they take that break for like four or five minutes I think it was or at least I felt that way where they're just eating the French's food right yeah. and then you're saying then, they could have just done that that part quicker exactly because like because that was leading to the tanks and the lead up what like the three seconds before that where you just see like all those fucking rats and mice just like fucking getting the fuck out and they're looking like like that was powerful yeah yeah, yeah. but you know like for them like to me and you know i'm not a military tactician but to me to be in a trench and where their kitchen is and put my guns down and i'm like grabbing their chicken grabbing their gravy <laughs> just like you're probably gonna get shot right? <laughs> um i mean i think that that is probably accurate with a bunch of starving troops that <clears throat> so i agree with you i think that what they should have done is shown them jump in there's like they grab the chicken oh and then they're off over the trench again right like just you know like a one and done boom 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 right keep it dynamic right like um, or even just a very slow, like they, they get the chicken and da da da. Look up, oh shit, there's the tanks, right? Like that lull, and I know why the lull, or I'm assuming the lull is put in there to bring the pace of the film down a bit, and also to give you an option, uh, an opportunity to see exactly what they're doing, like that they're eating and stuff like that. But again, I agree with you. If you you ro- you need to roll it out more realistically, right? Or you know, just to keep the pace of the film moving forward. Yeah, because. Uh, but they also cut out like a couple of scenes, like from the book, because I remember there was a time in the book that, you know, Paul had to leave and he actually got to go home. Yes. And he confronts the, the class that they're trying to rile up again, right? Mm-hmm. To go fight. And he's like, whoa, no, it's not. It's not what you're talking about. Like, don't go. And they call him basically like a coward, right? Yeah. 
yeah and that was the thing because he yeah like that section of the book it, it was technically like he was so so changed from the war that he no longer had technically any more connections with his village and his town yeah he like he was just like fuck it right like i guess i'm going back to die well and i mean this is going to be what happens when these guys come home after the war it's like the anybody who didn't go fight like they're they're basically aliens to each other. Like they don't, and this is actually a symptom of lots of wars where like post-traumatic stress and stuff like shell shock, whatever you want to call it. You just no longer fit into your society because you've seen things that people should never see. You know what I mean? You've done things Mm -hmm. that people should never do. So. Yeah. Oh, like even when you like, fuck when they're in the, when they're about when the amorous is signed, but they're in that village and they're all celebrating that it's going to be signed and the war is done. The next day, his his one friend that got shot in the leg, right? He's like, fuck it, I'm not going to be a cripple. And then you just see him technically commit suicide with yes. a knife or yeah. with a fork. With a fork. And then when they're, when they're trying to help him, you see the other soldier just fucking grab their food and just watch him kill himself while eating because yeah. he's starving. Whatever, that guy's going to be dead anyway. I'm going to eat this, yeah. these beans and sausage, right? So Yeah. Um. So... My quote this week uh, kind of, you know, uh, summarizes what I had to th- feel about the whole film. So Michael O'Sullivan from the Washington Post, he said, it is handsomely shot, but there are long sequences where little happens. True to life, perhaps, but it's slow. There is definitely slow po- points to it. So, But I do highly recommend it. Uh, read the book. Watch all the versions. Uh, and uh, if you're here in Canada, make sure you take yourself to a cenotaph uh, on November 11th. And if you're in other countries, uh, you know. Please uh, honor those uh, ceremonies that you do have because it's not about uh, memorializing war. It's about uh, remembering those that kind of gave the ultimate sacrifice. And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com That was a good film. Was now your quote that you did. Was that from this movie? Or yeah, other? it's it's the opening. It's in the book. It's in all. It opens. It it, it, it opens the film. But it, but it's not the saying. It is just like it's just the there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I just read it because it's it's one of the more famous lines from All Quiet on the Western Front because it opens the book, right? So. I really thought you were gonna go with the quote where when they're smelling the girl's underwear and like she smells like she like takes two baths a day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I try to keep uh, keep it kind of serious <laughs> for Remembrance Day or whatever. Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.